They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. In Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Here we go. We're back. <laughs> Elliot, you can say whatever you want in this uh, intro because I think practically no one is going to listen to this episode because this is probably our least accessible movie that we've <laughs> viewed so far. So if you want to say anything really on a pocket, here's here's your chance. Uh, I don't know. I, I just I don't really have anything out of pocket out of pocket. I just sort of conform to what, uh, what the culture tells me to think. I did. I I have an idea that I'll run by you in this semi private, um, arena. Then you, yeah, yeah, I was, I was watching, uh, I was watching the YouTubes and I got recommended a, uh, compilation of like people getting angry at their suckage in souls games you know the dark souls games um okay and as i was watching it i noticed that most of this most of these streamers are just very unattractive people uh in rooms with extremely poor lighting that reveal the absolute like total mess that they live in you know, there's just clutter everywhere. And I was thinking, we're unattractive and we have bad lighting in our messy rooms. So what what would you think if we started, if we parlayed our rollicking success in the podcast field into even greater success in the arena of live streaming? We could we could live stream like you and I could we could play Bloodborne <laughs> together. That wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> <laughs> I think you've uh you've tossed up this idea before of like no, oh no, what that if was we... a that was a, a live stream like watch along where I would host it but I wouldn't <laughs> say anything to anyone. This is a this is completely different. This is completely different. Um I think that's a really bad idea because I, <laughs> I think I I I feel like what makes streamers good is either they're consistently like funny and entertaining or they're like funny to watch because they get really upset and i don't get that upset when playing bloodborne Mm. to be honest because i'm really good at it oh i just sort of accept my uh my poor performance yeah i think maybe if we played like call of duty we would be we would get more moments of us being upset yeah, but I don't want to play. Uh, we don't get upset when we play Call of Duty. We just sort of get sad. We just get discouraged. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no one wants to see the slow decline of two two people into depression. 
I I think that it's I think this idea has legs. Okay, well, maybe pitch it to a few other people. Maybe put out some feelers and see how the people. This is me feel putting out feelers. No, Submit to people other than me. Submit your yeah. I'm saying to the to the listening audience, please submit oh, your thoughts on this audience. idea, and subscribe yeah. to Magellan's on the Couch, our forthcoming Twitch stream channel. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, let me know. Uh, send a message to the Instagram, which is just my Instagram, or send a letter to Elliot's house uh, if you if you would want to see us do this. All right, that's enough incredible banter. Oh wait, one uh, more. Let's get to let's, wait, 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 one more thing. Uh, the most recent episode of The Last of Us was pretty good. Great. <laughs> All right, let's let's get to, let's get into the movie. Well, have, um, wait, wait. <laughs> what? What do, have you watched the most recent episode of Mando? No, actually I haven't. I had midterms and then grading pretty much all yesterday, so I did not get around to watching uh the newest Mandalorian episode. Well, I had midterms as well. I just ignored them. Okay, well, I am <laughs> studying in maybe a, a little bit of a tougher field than oh, 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 wow, sure. <laughs> um. Anyway, let's talk about the movie. <laughs> mm. Fine, if we have to. Okay, okay, so I got to pick the movie this week. We thought about doing uh, Banshees of Inisherin. Because we, we really want that to win Best Picture on Sunday, or at least I do. I think. I'm kind of assuming you do as well. But we aren't sure. If it does win, we'll do an episode on it, and then you can hear our thoughts on that great flick. Again, we've talked about it <laughs> at length in other episodes. But I decided to just go with a movie I love that I had only seen once, and I really wanted to rewatch to revisit, and I thought this would be the perfect venue to... Uh, talk about it after rewatching it. So I chose Martin Scorsese's Silence. So I'll do the plot. I'll do the plot rundown, Elliot. Don't worry. I'll do it. This is a 2016 film following two Jesuit preacher pastors, fathers, who received news that they're kind of the guy who led them through seminary or whatever the Jesuit version of seminary was in the 1600s, um, that he had apostatized, which is to say he had renounced his faith in Japan. And <laughs> so these two, what? So, sorry, I'm sorry. It, the way you said that made it sound like he had renounced his faith in the nation of Japan, <laughs> like his confidence in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> uh no he renounced his faith in jesus in the location japan <laughs> but in order to kind of ascertain the truth of this as well as to uh start a new revival of christians in japan these two pastors decide to undertake a journey to japan to uh, kind of answer all these questions and meet with the Christians that are there currently living underground because the government at the time was uh, hostile to Christians. So then from there, the movie basically just follows 
One of the fathers in particular, Sebastian Rodriguez, played by Anthony or Andrew Garfield, uh, as he kind of has to grapple with his faith in the face of the horrible things that he sees in Japan, like the persecution and torture of uh, these Japanese villagers. And yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty much essentially a plot is just him grappling with the silence of God in the face of these horrible things that he sees happening. Uh, so I guess to begin, Elliot, what were your initial thoughts on the movie and what are your feelings, kind of initial thoughts after having seen it now for a second time? Um, this movie's brutal. It's hard to watch. Uh, the Japanese did not mess around when it came to torturing people or executing people. Um, yeah, I... I have not watched a whole lot of faith-based films. I am, we are both men of the Lord, but those kinds of movies typically are not very fondly looked on uh, for, I think, pretty good reason. Um, they tend to be very, I see, I think that it's stupid to call them preachy because I think that every movie with a message is preachy in a sense that it's yeah. moralizing about a certain topic that it wants the audience to think about in a certain way. I think that the way it go it goes about that is very defensive and insecure and patently unconvincing. Um there's a there it seems like these movies always have a need to I don't know to evangelize in a way that I don't think is very effective. But this movie takes the simple yet bafflingly rare step of just meeting, of essentially telling a Christian story on Christian terms. So without the need to justify itself for the audience constantly, it there's so much more room for exploration of themes that are actually related to Christian life or just religious life. I think that this is a the, a movie about specifically Christianity, but it is also more broadly about religion or maybe more broadly about God or the the figure of God. Um so I really like it. I think that it's it's very contemplative. It's definitely a slow burn and there are times where I think all right, can we move this along a bit? Sometimes the pace is languid, uh, and I don't think that it always works, but the performances are fantastic. Um, this is a really unusual performance from Adam Driver. I think usually he plays roles that are much more energetic, much more sort of, what, ostentatious. But this is, everyone's very reserved in this movie. Everyone's, except for when they're like screaming in terror and pain, um... Everyone's speaking in a very soft church voice, uh, but I really like it. And I think that this movie has, like, had an appreciable impact on my own personal theology to the, ex to the extent that it talks about how to deal with uh, a God who does not speak 
speak in an audible voice, at least not usually. So that 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 was a lot of different thoughts, but yeah, that's uh that's sort of a a very very broad generalization of what I think about this movie. Also, sorry. <laughs> Uh, cinematography is fantastic. This movie is a looker. Yeah, it was, uh, the only Oscar nomination this movie got was for its cinematography, which I think is very deserved. I feel very similarly to you, like you said, we're, uh, men of the Lord here. It's a Christian podcast. (laughs) That's why we don't Um, swear. Well, that's one reason. (laughs) That's a reason. But I definitely agree with you that a lot of faith-based movies in or movies that are made explicitly for Christian audiences, in my opinion, take a fairly simplistic look at very serious topics that it becomes something almost silly that it's like, really, you're this upset about this thing. And like you said, silence is not doing that. It's not trying to convince you to be religious. It's telling a story about a person who is religious. And in that way, I think it speaks much more to uh, the experience of people who do feel their religion very strongly. And in that way, it's a very powerful movie, especially for me. One of the reasons I was so excited to revisit this was I saw this like last year, two years ago, something like that. I watched it um, with you and the family. Maybe it was two years ago. I think that was I when think I was. I think that was when you were still at home. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. So yeah, probably two years ago. Not that that matters um, at all. <laughs> well, but se- since then, I just kept thinking about the movie. It was one of the movies that just kept coming back into my consciousness, and I kept thinking about things the movie did and I ended up buying the movie is based on a book by a Japanese Christian and I ended up buying the book it was on clearance at a thing and I read the book and I I thought the book was so amazing so I've been so excited to revisit the movie and I think upon revisiting it I look I like it even more than I did the first time I saw it and I'm really excited to Uh, dive in like you said all the technical elements are really amazing but i think what makes this movie so special for me is the thematic elements of what the movie is saying about religion and specifically keeping your faith in the face of things that seem contradictory to that or seem unexplainable in the face of what you believe so so I guess to to start the conversation, because uh, I think we can catch the technical elements kind of at the end. Kind of my first question would is, do you think uh, people who aren't religious would not enjoy this movie? Uh, that's a good question. And I do think that there, to some extent being religious or at least having some kind of spiritual mindset is likely to enhance your appreciation of the movie. Um, I think that if you sort of conceptualized it and just looked at it from the perspective of someone's principles being tested, 
uh, it still resonates, or it would still resonate. Obviously, this is hard to say because I am religious, so it's hard for me to guess whether or not somebody who's not religious would like this movie. I mean, I think that probably somebody who is not religious would not like this as much as somebody who is. I think that it is a deeply religious... Without that, the context, uh, the shared context of this experience, not necessarily, you know, going to a hostile nation and being tortured and stuff, uh, but the experience of believing in a god, trying to establish reasons for that, reasons for why why this and why that. Uh, this, that's a great sentence. Basically, I think that if you don't have that experience, it is likely that a lot of the character's struggles won't really, or will connect, won't connect with you as deeply as they connect with, you know, people like you and me. Yeah, I agree. It's like, you know, you don't have to go through a marriage to appreciate what marriage story is kind of conveying. But I imagine if you have gone through a, mar a divorce, then marriage story becomes a much more powerful film because it's much more authentically felt when you watch the movie and can contrast it with your own life. But I still, I still think this is a really great movie, and uh, I think even if you're not religious, you can still find something to appreciate in it. Two hours and 40 minutes, though, might be <laughs> a lot of film to watch just to find, like, oh, it was pretty as the only kind of thing. I guess, Elliot, what, what would you like to start? to talk about because i i've got a lot of questions and stuff over here but i don't i want to you know i want to know what's what's something you want to speak about in relation to this movie not just in general well i was gonna wait to talk about this towards the end but uh if you know you're passing the buck here when i was reading reviews for this a common theme of some of the negative ones were that this movie demonizes uh, Japanese people um, and that portraying this kind of unjust, you know, oppressive religious intolerance, something that the Christian church is by no means innocent of, is, I don't know, problematic. Mm. And I don't know, I think that I, I can understand why you might think that. I personally would say that, that that's not necessarily a reason to not tell this story. And, I mean, it is accurate in the sense that at this time period, Japan was very much isolationist. And Japan, as has been stated, did not mess around when it came to enforcement of their their laws and their sort of cultural norms but yeah i i i think that i i don't i don't 
myself see it being particularly unfair, if that makes sense. Uh, it seems like, you know, this is just, this is just sort of the way it happened. And yeah, there, I, I don't think that the existence of this movie discounts the, uh, or this story discounts the story of other peoples who uh, experienced similar things, but when the Christian church was the one playing the Japanese role. But what do you think? No, I, I agree. And I think it's important to keep in mind, and I was talking to uh, our father a bit before this, our father who's on earth, not our father yeah. who's in heaven. But I said how I think it's important to keep in mind when watching this movie that it is written, it's based on a book written by a Japanese Christian, and it's coming from a place of love for both of those two things, that it's someone who very strongly feels a connection to right, the country he's from and a sense of pride for that country. But it's also coming from a place of somewhat alienation because of this religion that he believes in, that he, in the foreword to the book, he talks about growing up Catholic and he was like the only Catholic kid in his whole neighborhood. Like he didn't know any other Christians growing up. And so the book was part of him coming to terms and kind of uniting these two identities that he had, that he was Japanese and he was Catholic, that this movie was him kind of going through that process, much in the same way that Sebastian has to go through a process of, right, uniting what he believes with what he has to do in this hostile place. And I think the movie is fairly, it's not incredibly concerned with critiquing uh, missionaries at this time, but there's elements of that. Like when the interpreter talks about the one, how um, all of the fathers who came to Japan didn't learn the language. And he talks at length about the one who like openly disliked the Japanese kind of culture and customs. And I think that was kind of how missionary work happened for a long time until there was some guy who I can't remember the name of who was like, hey, we should actually adapt to the culture we're trying to like convert and changed it to a much more uh, positive sort of missionary outreach sort of thing. But I think there's elements in this movie that are critiquing kind of colonialism and missionary work where it's just let me come in with a hammer and knock everyone on the head until they believe what I believe as opposed to coming in and genuinely trying to teach them the things, which is evident by, right, the Portuguese not learning the language. That would get in the way of you trying to convert people. And I I also think this movie benefits from Scorsese's classic lack of, like, critique of the characters, which we kind of talked about when we reviewed Goodfellas, that it was something we disliked because we felt like the movie should be more harshly saying, hey, these racist, sexist, violent pigs are bad. I think here it's kind of benefited by the fact that the movie is never really strongly being like, oh, these guys are like super evil. Instead, it's just depicting things that happened, right? Persecution of Christians and the fathers refusing to apostatize to the detriment of Japanese people that it doesn't ever really explicitly go like, hey, this is wrong. Instead, it's just depicting it, and the characters have to figure out that it's wrong for themselves. 
yeah, that was the only really important question that I had. What are your questions? Oh, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so glad you, you kind of said that. So I guess uh, one of the things that I find most powerful about this movie is the ending, I guess. And where Sebastian apostatizes and then lives the rest of his life in Japan as kind of a Japanese person. And I guess what I wanted to start is I kind of wanted your thoughts on, do you think he's right in doing that? Do you think he's justified in doing what he does? Because there's a sense in the movie, especially when you first meet uh, Ferreira in like the present, not in one of the flashback kind of sequences. When you first meet him, I think there's the there's a sense in which he's like, oh, this is so disgusting and shameful that you've fallen so far and you're now espousing all these things that I don't think are true. And then Sebastian goes on to do the same thing. But I think the movie kind of turns it to a positive way or frames it as a good thing. And uh, I guess I just wanted to know, do you think uh, that's correct of the movie? Do you think that Sebastian continuing to hold out in the face of all of this suffering of these other people, do you think that was wrong with wrong of him? Like the movie, maybe not the movie, but like, you know, so many of the characters are saying. Hmm. Um, that's a hard question. This movie asks a lot of hard questions. I think yeah. that I would, I would sort of echo what, Jesus says at the end when he when Sebastian is being asked to step on the whatever it's called uh he says you know I came here to be stepped on to be to be a sacrifice and so I think that what Sebastian is doing is he's sacrificing himself for the good of others which is the most Christ-like thing a person can do but not sacrificing this is and see i've set this question up just so i can answer it and then gush <laughs> about the theology of the film but yeah that's exactly it that the horrible thing that sebastian has to do is not die what he wants to do is die and be a martyr what he has to do is much harder and that's live with the shame of everyone i love the the little scene of him in the house and all the kids are like calling him paul apostate paul or whatever that it's, you know, his, he doesn't get to die a martyr. He has to die, right? Everyone thinks he's a failure and that he threw away his religion. But in doing that, right, he saves so many people and he's evil, even able to, I think there's some sense at the end, that he's able to save Kichichiro and save his wife, assuming his wife is the person who put the thing in his hand there at the end. So then presumably like his son that, and I think it's such an amazing sentiment that it's like, Hey, the hardest thing for you is going to be something that's like genuinely hard, that it would not have been hard for him to die, but it was hard for him to live with like this feeling that he had to go through life with the thing or watching it this time, the line that really jumped out to me is kind of, epitomizing this was when he watches uh, Garp die and right as Garp like runs into the water 
Sebastian set is like saying a prayer and he says, don't leave this to us. And I think that's always, I think that's such a relatable like sentiment that it's like, Hey God, can you just come down and do this? So we don't have to do anything that Sebastian is like, why can't you just come fix everything? So I don't have to do something difficult, which I Mm -hmm. think is such a lazy sort of thing a lazy sort of sentiment to be like, why can't you just fix everything? It's like, well, you have to do something. And I just, I just think it's the coolest. I just think it's really amazing that, and I think it's something that I feel very personally as someone trying to live as a Christian, that I definitely feel this desire to elevate myself via the easiest ways possible instead of genuinely doing difficult things that I know like I'm supposed to do that Sebastian is called to apostatize, even though what he wants to do is the easier and nobler and like cooler thing. But we don't always get to do that. Sometimes we have to do something really lame and like <laughs> that's going to bring a lot of uh, scorn and disdain on us. So. I think I think he's totally right. I think uh, I think it's an amazing ending. I agree, and I think that's what I mean when I say that this movie sort of impacted my own personal theology. Uh, I swear I don't just take I don't just crib philosophy from movies. I read books and stuff, and I I have thoughts of my own. But uh, <laughs> I I think that you know the the idea that. God is silent in this movie. I think the the idea is that God was silent in the ways that Sebastian wanted him to be loud, but he was mm-hmm. still speaking. He was still moving. And uh, we see that in the places where Sebastian, you know, when he's with the underground Christian village and he says that his faith is being renewed uh, through these people and through seeing their faith. And I think that's, those are the places where God is speaking, but Sebastian isn't listening. He's listening for yeah. these, uh, you know, burning bush, grander, uh, more conspicuous moments, but God is speaking, you know, God's voice is in the still calm wind. There's a, there's a biblical reference for you. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's so true. And I think uh, the movie kind of has a sense that the reason he's not listening to God in those moments is because he's too busy elevating himself. That when he's with these underground Christians, he's too busy pumping himself up like, oh, I'm so great and cool. I came to this new country and I've brought all of these, you know, unwashed masses, the gospel, and now they're all so on fire because of me. And there's there's other points when he's on the run where he's like, he tells a story about Jesus and then he slips up right at the end and puts himself in Jesus's place. That he's constantly seeing himself as Jesus and in doing so, he's elevating himself higher than he should, which I think is, you know, his crippling flaw through the entire film up until the end, of course, that he's he thinks so much of himself he's unable to see god because he's blotted out that place where you know god would 
kind of be, there was, when I was reading reviews for this, there was one that had a quote that it said, there's enough grace to fill the void in anyone, but only if there's a void in there to fill, that there's a sense in which he's put, he's filled up everything that God would come into and speak into. And it's only there at that last moment that he's able to really hear what God has been doing the whole time, which I, I think is amazing. And very, I, I think it's very moving. It's a moving film. Mm-hmm. And I do think that it is possible, you know, that devotion to a principle, to a certain a way of a way of thinking, and grappling with the consequences of that. I do think that that is a universal experience. Like yeah. everyone agrees, or everyone should be agreeing that it is hard to do the right thing. It is often hard to do the right thing. It's often very easy to center yourself when you're trying to help others. And it's hard to have principles in a place that is hostile to those principles. Yeah. Well, and it's even harder. And one of the things that jumped out at me as well in this watch of the movie is the Japanese are like bad people. Like what they're doing is bad. Like you shouldn't be killing people. That's wrong. I think we can all agree <laughs> on um, that note. Uh, the Japanese depicted in this movie are bad people. Yes. The Japanese as an ethnic group are not bad people. I think is what okay, you yeah, that's, that's what I meant. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. But I think it's even harder to see what the right thing is, especially when all of the people telling you to do the right thing appear to be doing the wrong thing. Like, it's hard for Sebastian to take the true things that the Japanese sometimes say about him, where they're like, hey, you're arrogant, you're full of yourself, you're, you know, failing to grasp the thing that you're preaching. He doesn't hear it because it's very easy for him to chuck out their advice because he's like, oh, they suck. So I'm not going to listen to them. That he's like, I just saw them kill an innocent person. Why should I listen to their ethical and moral advice? Which I think is also a very hard thing for anyone to do. That it's like, sometimes you have people say something to you and you're like, well, I don't want to follow that advice just because I don't really like you very much. <laughs> I do that all the time. Every time Elliot gives me advice, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> Yeah, because I give you so much advice. You're all, <laughs> I'm always hitting you up with advice on where to eat and what to dress, how to dress, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that that's a good point to, at which to start talking about some of the less, some of the f formal elements of the movie uh, rather than sure. the thematic elements, uh, because the antagonist of this movie. The I think he's called the Inquisitor or something yeah. along those lines. Inuisan. Yeah, he is absolutely chilling. Like he's not. He's definitely. I mean, oh my gosh, it's it's hard to explain. He clearly believes that he's doing the right thing, which in and of itself is always you know, it's always frightening to see someone who truly believes they're doing the right thing when they're doing something that is clearly wrong. But also, 
he's so like kindly like there there's nothing overtly sinister in the way he talks or the way he looks but he is a cold-blooded calculating intelligent son of a gun he he was yeah I, he, and the guy who played him i'm afraid i don't have his name in front of me hold on a second i always like to um credit people when i can Issei ogata he did a really good job yeah he obviously he was a big part of why he was just such a blood chilling character yeah it's exemplified too how and in the book it's more evident because in the book they're constantly talking about Inui and everything he's done and so the scene where he Sebastian thinks he hasn't met him yet because the guy he has met right is just some kindly old dude is even more felt in the book because he's just heard story after story of how ruthless he is and then when he meets him he's just you know some old guy some old dude and I also love how in almost every scene he's in, there's a fly buzzing around him. I don't know if that was like a real fly or what, but like in the first scene where you meet him, he's constantly having to like shoo things away with his fan, which even more, he's so cavalier, which I think is adds to how scary it is. But yeah, I, he's great. Honestly, every all of the actors are really great. I think... And one of the ones I really liked watching it this time is Kichichiro. I think the first time I saw this movie, I kind of got annoyed by Kichichiro by the end of the movie that I was like, okay, I get the point. You know, we mess up and we have to keep asking for forgiveness. I get it. Like, we don't need this this, this many times. But after reading the book and rewatching the movie, I'm even more so, I'm like, oh, I think he could have messed up more time. Like, I think there should be more of Kichichiro doing something wrong and then coming sniveling back because i'm like that's more authentic than you know just like oh he did it twice like i think there's like five or six times where he does something sketchy and then comes back to sebastian he's like i'm so sorry i need forgiveness and i think just like sebastian our patience is really tested with each next time to still be like yeah i love this guy but yeah well i think that's one of the most deeply Christian aspect. He's one of the most deeply Christian aspects of this movie, of this story is at least for, you know, the reflective Christians, uh, the, to, to do wrong. And then the sense of shame that keeps people from coming back to God, even when forgiveness is freely offered, there's a sense that you, that you don't deserve it, which, you know, you don't, but that's the point of it being offered. That's the point of grace and of mercy. And I think that he's the perfect way to capture that, that the discouraging cycle of failing and feeling like in your failure, God's mercy has somehow been expended or exhausted. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. When he tells the story of, uh, apostatizing for the first time and then his family is right burned alive i shed a tear i was very that was very sad for me because i was like i not to that extent but to the feeling of i messed up and all of these other people are doing so much better than me and how can i write exactly like you said this cycle of shame that it's like i can't 
come and say, I can't have anything good happen to me because I don't deserve it because I did this bad thing. And that Kichichiro keeps on having to have that same message talk, told to him in the form of Sebastian. And I think that's why it's so great in the final kind of moments of the movie when Kichichiro comes to him once again and he's like, I need to confess. And Sebastian is like, okay, you do. And I'm going to keep on hearing your confession. It's amazing. I love Kichichiro and whoever plays Kichichiro, I think does a great job of conveying that sort of shame that in the, when he tells the story to Sebastian, he's not looking at him. He's, I think he's like playing with something. He's messing around. He's, you know, he's doing anything to take his mind off the facts of what he did. All right. I'm going to give this pronunciation my best shot. Yosuke Kubazuka is Kichijiro. Yep. Well, he's great. And I apologize if I butchered that to all of our Japanese uh, (laughs) listeners. We have a few. We've got a few. It's your it's your turn to talk now. <laughs> okay, well, uh, then so yeah, I think that we've talked about. Well, I mean, we actually went back to talking about thematic elements there, but uh, I think that all of the characters are very sympathetic. Again, even uh, the Inquisitor, like it's you know why he's doing it, and he does have a reason to be at least suspicious of missionaries. Obviously, there's never any excuse for the kinds of behaviors that he indulges in, but uh, it is understand. He has an understandable motive, which is usually like the gold standard of any antagonist. Um, yeah, let's talk about the technical elements. This movie's a looker. Um, it's got such a such a pleasing color palette. Like sometimes it has. It's very naturalistic. Like sometimes a movie's coloring is very clearly movied like it's very clearly been touched up in some way shape or form it's been desaturated or oversaturated or it's just been altered in a way to create a vision i'm sure that this was altered in the same way but it was altered to be as realistic i think as possible same with like the lighting uh like there's candlelight and a lot of natural lighting in this movie and it all just creates these very luscious portraits a lot of shots that i'm just like oh that's so nice it's so nice to get a break from all of the beheadings and the torture and stuff yeah well and i think it even ties into thematically that the cinematography is so well here's the thing um the cinematography is so removed right like it never over dramatizes the brutal torturing or something like that. In fact, a lot of times it pulls farther back. Like when Kichichiro tells the story of his family being burned alive, the camera pans out to get more of the thing as opposed to right moving in to get like his reaction or how, you know, the people dying feel or something. And so I think it even more contributes to a feeling of an apathetic God who I think in the book, I don't know if they said it in the movie, but there's a part where Sebastian's like, it's hard to not feel like God doesn't meet all of this with a shrug that it's not that he doesn't exist. It's that he doesn't care. And I think the cinematography kind of conveys that, that there's a lot of shots from above or from wide away that it's like, eh, here's all of the natural world. And then there's some silly human fighting in, in it. And I, 
I think it's really cool. And it, yeah, it looks amazing. I love all the fog, the shots of fog and just fog. There's a lot of fog <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> it's like uh, Victorian Gothic. You expect Jack yeah, the Ripper a... to come out of the fog and kill yeah. someone, rip someone. Also in the... Also in the technical elements, I don't know if there's any or if there is a score. It's very sparse. And it seemed to me like a lot of times they rejected a score and instead had uh, just ambient noise. Like the movie, for a movie titled Silence, there's very few parts of the movie that are really silent. Like usually there's narration or there's like bug noises or the crashing of waves so I think it makes it all the more potent there at the end, right? When it's truly, it's fully 100% silent and he's staring at the icon. But I, I thought it was an interesting choice to not have a score. But I, I I think it contributes to that naturalistic sort of feel, that it feels very uh, realistic and grounded in the environment that it's taking place in. Mm-hmm. And surely that's intentional because, of course, God is usually equated with nature or natural yeah. thing, uh, especially in popular. Yeah. So, so this would be a score that I would not listen to casually. <laughs> Actually, in that by that logic, it's a score that you listen to casually every day of your life, every time you go outside. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point, Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Do you have uh, do you have anything else before we move on to ratings? Oh gosh, here's the thing. This I just I love this movie so much. It really I definitely agree. I don't know if it's had a demonstrable effect on kind of what I believe, but it certainly has helped me to grapple with and fully grasp ideas that I kind of knew for a long time, and uh, I almost. Every other week in church, someone will say something and it will make me think of this movie. Because I think, I, I read a review by a pastor, I think it was, who reviewed the movie when it came out. And he talked about how the movie really speaks to American Christianity in a way that you wouldn't expect from a movie set in the 1600s. Because Sebastian's need to be a martyr is very similar to modern American Christians need to like constantly be like, find some reason or excuse for like, Oh, here's this awful thing happening to me. And I think it comes from a place of, I want to be so special and put upon. So I'm going to make up some reason that like, you know, someone looked at me funny. And I think it's cause I was wearing a Christian shirt. It's like, no, maybe you just look funny. Cause that's why everyone looks funny at me. <laughs> that's why i but i do think thanks elliot <laughs> just in case you're wondering um, yeah but i think the movie really does speak to a certain type of arrogance that it's hard to articulate that the movie does a really amazing job of both articulating and then refuting over the course of its runtime so I, yeah i really like this movie if I watched it with people, I would have to pause it every 10 minutes to be like, guys, do you want to break down philosophically why this scene's important? <laughs> and they'd say no. Uh, do you have any final thoughts, Elliot? 
Uh, no, I also really like this movie. I know that Nathan's kind of dominated this episode. That's because Nathan has clearly been thinking about this a lot more and to a lot a much deeper extent than I have. I also think this is a really good movie. We haven't talked a whole lot about the like the form of the movie, uh, be, just because we have more to say about its themes. But I think it is important to also note that this is a an engaging, compelling story. It is a story that you won't necessarily enjoy in the same way that we enjoyed watching Godzilla, but it's a story that will keep your attention and will make you feel feelings. And the characters are compelling and engaging. And and yeah, the narrative is is as good as the themes that it is acting as a stage ground for, as a staging ground for. Yeah, it's a really, I mean, it's a complex movie. It's kind of like uh, 12 Angry Men in some sense, that it's very engaging. But in order to really get a lot out of it, you're going to have to engage with the ideas that it's sort of presenting to you. And also, I mean, we haven't talked about it at all. Andrew Garfield does a really great job here in this movie. He plays the main character, and he's... Uh, obviously on screen for a lot of the film and he does a great job. I really think Liam Neeson does a fantastic job of kind of doing the same thing that I was talking about with Kichichiro, uh, that he plays both in the flashbacks, you know, a broken sort of man. And then in the present day, a broken man in a different way that he's, he looks smaller in the like present day. Cause I think he's, Uh, He feels bad about himself, which is a bummer. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we can get into ratings. Elliot, uh, you can go first. Uh, Yeah, I don't really have anything super negative to say. Uh, We didn't have a chance to talk about the things that we didn't like as much about this movie. I do think that there are moments where the pacing gets a little slow. Um, But there's nothing really holding this movie back other than, uh, from a perfect rating, other than it, you know, just uh, doesn't have the highest heights that I need to give a perfect score. But that's in no way saying that this movie has any kind of serious defect. So I'm going to give it an A-. minus. Wow. That's a bit bit below what I'm going to give it here. Yeah, I really love this movie. I'm not usually a fan of Scorsese, but I think he hit this out of the park. Apparently, he had been trying to make this movie since, I want to say, 1996, which is when he first read the book. And so he he loves this story and really wanted to bring it to film. And I think it's so amazing he did. Uh, I guess if I had to do a negative, I guess I sort of agree that there's some moments especially maybe in the back half after Sebastian is captured where it feels like, okay, do we need all of this? But then I come back to Kichichiro where I'm like, yeah, like the more time the movie spends on a thing, it's not a detriment because it does take that much time for like something to settle in. So I'm going to go like a 9.6. I really love this movie. It's so, so good. And I wish, I think this is a heavily uh, slept on movie because I think not a lot of people watch it. And I think if more people did, they would uh, really like it, hopefully. Well, then 
let's talk about some other movies that people would really, really like. Uh, I'll go first since um, I I feel like mine makes a lot more sense than yours. Yours is kind of stupid, but uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding. Uh, my recommendation doesn't really have a lot of like content overlap, uh, but it is I it's a movie about the extent to which someone is willing to go to defend their principles. It's about how hard it is to do the right thing. Uh, my movie is Serpico. Uh, so this is directed by Sidney Lumet, who, if you remember from the, our director's episode, is one of my honorable mentions for favorite directors. It's about, it's based on a true story about a guy, I think his, his first name is Frank, but his last name is Serpico, who's a member of the New York City, New York? I think it's New York City. Oh, gosh. There's so, yeah. New York City Police Department, who's, uh, he's basically, he's, an internal watchdog. I think he's working with internal affairs and he's obviously at this point in time, the police force is very corrupt uh, and he's trying to weed out that corruption, which makes him a lot of enemies on the force. So the movie is about him. He's got a family and he wants to protect them, but also he wants to do what's right in this situation. And he wants to make the people who enforce the law obey the law, which is a pretty novel concept. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's about how difficult it is to do the right thing when the impacts of it, the immediate impacts of it, at least personally, are so demonstrably negative. Al Pacino plays the main character, but there's not a bad performance in the bunch. It's a very thought-provoking movie. It's shorter than this movie. It's a little bit more snappy. So if that's kind of holding you back from silence, I think that this would be a good, not necessarily alternative, because I do think you should watch Silence either way. But this might be more up your alley. Uh, and yeah, it's a really good movie. Uh, I haven't seen that. Uh, I've been meaning to get around to it. I think, Elliot, you say there's not a bad performance in the bunch. You say that quite a bit when talking about movies. <laughs> Because we watch movies with good performances, except for, like, Hot Rod. Okay. Um, I just meant you use that specific euphemism almost every time. There's not a bad performance in the bunch. That's not a euphemism. That's, at most, an idiom. Oh, oh good grief, Elliot. <laughs> Same. Okay, anyway. Uh, anyway, my recommendation has so much to do with this film. It takes place in Japan, just like this movie. Whoa! But my movie is Harakiri, which is a Japanese movie from the 60s, I'd imagine, because that's when Japanese cinema was at its height. But it follows the story of... I'm not going to say what the story is, but it kind of deals with a similar idea of when is it okay or when is it appropriate to sacrifice your principles in the name of right doing the right thing? And it kind of has an examination of some people who have been holding very tightly to a set of principles and how that has kind of ended up in them doing bad things. Um, it's such a good movie, really fantastic performances really amazing cinematography. If you've ever seen a Japanese movie, I think this is a really easy to grasp and easy to enjoy, very accessible sort of starting point. 
So I don't want to say a ton else about that because I think it's best to go in kind of blind to the movie, which is how I watched it, and I was just blown away by it. But yeah, Harakiri is my uh, recommendation. That is a good movie. It's a very good movie. Uh, so I think it's important at this point to say that life is hard and full of disappointments. That's all noting. Uh, but yeah, Nathan, what do you what do you have to close us out? Um, not much. Next week we're gonna have a special episode. We're gonna be talking about our favorite television shows, which is very exciting. We thought about doing an Oscars reaction sort of episode, but uh, I don't imagine either of us are gonna have enough thoughts about the Oscars to react for any um, impressive amount of time to them. <laughs> We can mention them, uh, but there's I can I definitely can't be bothered to watch the whole program. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's hoping Banshees wins. If Banshees wins, here's our promise. We'll do a Banshees episode. If anything else wins, we're not necessarily going to do an episode on it. Uh, but yeah, should be exciting. So tune in next week. Thanks everyone who did listen to this episode because I love this movie. So. <laughs> but I know not a lot of people have seen it, so I kind of imagine that this episode would be a little slept on, just like the movie. <laughs> Thanks right, for listening. Thanks. We'll be back.